welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. At each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison. How are you? Very well. I imagine it's been a very big week for you this week, Matthew. It's a federal budget week. I imagine, especially for Australian economists, this is a bit like a bit like Christmas. Well, a bit like Christmas, but without Santa Claus. It's not. <laughs> anyway, oh, the, I don't know. Yeah, there, was a, there were a few presents there in the budget. I don't know how many there were for me, but there was there was plenty of presents for many households. So a good lead-in to key takeaways from the budget and, and any surprises for you, actually. Well, I think the the, the budget, more generally speaking, was, was uh, a good budget for a Labor government. Remembering that if you ignore the practice budget that they gave or they delivered on in October, you really haven't had a full-blown budget from a Labor government for well, for 10 years, actually. So they had to deliver on a couple of things. Firstly, they had to demonstrate fiscal responsibility. You know, Labor's always sort of criticised for not being fiscally responsible. So they had to demonstrate fiscal responsibility. I think they delivered that in, in spades, actually. They had $146 billion of windfall gains spread over the forward estimates from now through to 2026-27. They spent only about $20 billion of that and $126 billion went to actually uh, paying off debt. So that was that was a positive. You have they, to that as tick for responsibility. I think that's, that's fair. Yeah, big tick for that. They also have to be careful about not adding to inflationary pressure in the economy, uh, take some of the heat off the RBA. And again, they delivered on that, as I said, only adding $20 billion of additional spending, very much at the margin. They could have added a lot more. They needed to alleviate cost of living pressures. They'd promised that. And they did introduce a number of targeted measures, particularly the most vulnerable households, to alleviate those cost of living pressures. And in terms of the impact of that on the economy, uh, the way in which they introduced that, again, in our opinion, perhaps not that inflationary. A fourth thing I think they had to deliver on, this is more my view, is that when you look at Labor governments versus Liberal governments, Labor governments naturally, it's their it's their role. They err more on policies that deliver equity, potentially at the cost of growth, whereas Liberal governments tend to deliver more uh, policies that uh, promote growth, at potentially at the cost of equity. So in the in a, in the current global political climate, where you see politics being polarised, you know, moving further and further to the left on the left of politics and further to the right on the right of politics. It was good to see that the Labor government didn't go for this sort of, you know, strongly anti-growth sort of policies in order to get greater equities. So there were tax increases to business and there was a capping of superannuation that gets tax favourable treatment at $3 million for super in terms of um, policies that potentially stifle growth a little bit or the incentive to invest and the incentive to uh, sort of work longer hours or aspire to accumulate more wealth. But really very much, I think, at the margin, Alison. And then finally, we need a budget eventually that addresses the big issues of tax reform and productivity. And that's where they failed, really, in this budget. But, you know, they're biding their time. The big issue with the tax reform is where they go ahead with the stage three tax cuts, they say they are at the moment. That's part of the making taxes more efficient. But 
course, at reducing the progressivity of the tax system. On productivity, you'd be expecting more on infrastructure and, and also reform, uh, other reforms of the tax system that uh, enable an increase in productivity. That's to come. Overall, I gave the budget a B. A B. That's a pretty solid mark. I think I'd be happy with that as my first official budget as a new treasurer. But as you say, I think perhaps some things in store potentially around the tax rates and potentially around that infrastructure spend, but maybe he's just warming up into that. But I did think, Matt, one thing I wanted to challenge you on, or, or perhaps not challenge, maybe questions a fairer term you on a little bit, is whether the budget is potentially inflationary. So there's definitely a number of measures in there to try and relieve the cost of living pressure for low-income households. And yeah, that's really understandable, particularly for a Labor government. But isn't it really making the RBA's job harder? So the extra money in everyone's pockets, that's just now going to be spent on food, clothes, whatever it might be. That adds to inflationary pressures. How do you think that Dr Lowe would be feeling about the budget? Well, you're right that the support measures, which are about half a percent of uh, GDP, do add to demand. That's in the 2023-24 budget. But the energy relief bill also includes price caps on electricity and gas and the subsidy on electricity bills combined with those price caps. They work to lower price of energy to households as an offset to, you know, the uh, additional price pressure that the stimulus measures or the income support measures will add, as you correctly pointed out. And that's what the government's been saying in in response to the criticism of, um, you know, the stimulus packages sort of actually adding to inflation. So what we did is we, we wanted to test out if that was right. Does the stimulus to demand drive prices higher than the price controls and the subsidies, lower prices. So we went away in, uh, into our macro models and we simulated price caps and the subsidies combined with the uh, additional spending coming out of the income support over a three-year period. And as it turns out, the price controls and the subsidies lower prices by around 50 basis points over the three-year horizon, while the additional demand, that half a percentage point that you mentioned, actually lifts prices by around 15 basis points. So you get a net lowering of the price level over three-year horizon, actually of 35 basis points. So I think I agree with the government that actually the the combination of of the policies is not inflationary. So no, I, I think that the budget won't be inflationary, but I don't think the RBA will be in a position to cut rates but neither will it put pressure on them to raise rates. Okay, well, that's a pretty good outcome and a pretty neat balancing act that they've achieved there. So that's that's a good thing. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr Matthew Peter. Matthew, another uh, key data point recently released, in fact, on Wednesday night, uh, Australian time, was the US CPI print, a one that's keenly watched by markets. And it came in pretty much in line with expectations at a, a 0.4% monthly increase for inflation And I believe that that brings headline inflation to 4.9%, just edging down a little from the prior 5% and core CPI printing at 5.5%. So from my perspective, that was very much in line with market expectations. So markets were pretty sanguine about the response. But the question is, are we on the way down to the core, really targeting that 2% level in the States? Are we on our way back down to 2%? Oh, we're heading there, but it's certainly a slow burn, Alison. You know, it's it's taken us a year, or it's taken the US a year to get the core inflation number to drop from 6.5% to 5.5%. So that's still pretty high number. So if you keep that trajectory going, it's going to be it's going to be more than another year before we get back to that uh, two, two to two and a half percent number. In terms of the numbers 
that we got out for April. In terms of the detail, what we are seeing is is ongoing low rates of food and energy ex-gasoline inflation. But inflation of items ex-food and energy, so-called um, core inflation, that unfortunately remains stubbornly high or inert at around about 0.4, 0.5% uh, a month. And that's the problem, that that inflation rate, that core inflation is not coming down very quickly. The good news is that of the items within that core inflation bundle, with the exception of uh, used car inflation, which has got its own sort of weird dynamics over there in the US, uh, inflation on other broad categories of goods and services are actually showing, you know, sustained trend decline now. But as I said, it's a slow burn. And while it means that the Fed, I think, can pause at the, at its next meeting, subsequent meetings uh, over the coming months. It doesn't lead us to expect that the Fed will be in a position to be able to cut rates before year end and certainly not cut rates by the 75 basis points that the market's expecting. Indeed, they still seem to be pretty confident that the Fed will pivot pretty quickly and uh, start pricing back into normalised uh, rates rather than these sort of more you know restrictive policy settings that it's considered to be at currently. So, be interesting space to watch, and I think it could cause some some volatility in the markets as people will decide whether that you know whether we are going to see cuts towards the end of 2020, 2023 or not. But we'll keep watching that space. Matthew, thank you for joining me again today, and especially on at the end of what must have been a very very busy budget week for you. And thanks also to our listeners for taking ten. <music>